Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. Every other Sunday, we'll release an episode of the podcast featuring an interview with a business owner in the food industry. From restaurants, to breweries, to bakeries, and everything in between. We ask them about their journey and the process of becoming a successful business owner in hopes of helping others to do the same. I'm Mike Curtin, and the podcast starts now. Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so so you never miss another episode of the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts. All links to those and podcast platforms can be found on ChewBrewerStew.com. Thank you for joining us for episode number 13 of Chew Brewer Stew. Today I sit down with Madeline Lanciani, owner of Dwayne Park Patisserie, home of the Ring Ding Bar in Tribeca, New York. Madeline tells us the story of how she became the first woman to ever work in the kitchen of the Plaza Hotel, and what exactly made her decide to put her own twist on Ring Dings. So here it is, episode number 13. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is Chew Brewer Stew. And today I'm at Dwayne Park Patisserie, home of the Ring Ding Bar, with Madeline Lanciani. Madeline, thank you for being with us. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, how you got started in the industry? Oh boy, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, brief, briefest. All right. I've been, I've been, it's just that I've been around for a while. Okay. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, decided to become a chef in, uh, in the mid-70s, and um, I had no formal training, although I had cooked in restaurants as a teenager and uh, through college, and um, uh, was still paying off my, student, my first student loans, so I couldn't incur any more debt and go to culinary school, right. so I decided to learn the old-fashioned way by apprentic- apprenticing myself to excellent chefs and for free, and just learning whatever I could learn from them. That uh, tactic drove me to the Plaza Hotel where I asked the pastry chef at the time, Joe Lanciani, if I could just come in and just learn whatever I could learn. So he said yes. I learned so much and loved it so much that I decided over the course of three or four months that I wanted this to be my life's work. Um, The problem is, is uh, uh, the Plaza Hotel didn't have any women in the kitchen. And the executive chef was um, reluctant to hire me, uh, said he couldn't hire me because there was no place for me to even change clothes. And the kitchen was full of 99 men and he thought that I would be a disruption to these guys. I begged and pleaded and said, let me just try it out for a couple of months free. You don't have to pay me. If it works, then we can go forward. If it doesn't work, thank you so much for your time. So I did, I kept working for free. Eventually, the executive chef uh, saw that I was not going to disrupt the kitchen. In fact, I was adding to the kitchen, so they hired me. Oh, so in the Plaza Hotel, I did not stay in pastry. I had gotten bitten by the food bug, in which we call cuisine. Okay. So I decided I wanted to be a chef de cuisine. I wanted to stay in what's called culinary as opposed to pastry. Right, right. And so I um, actually, the chef actually put me in every single station in the plaza. I did a stint, three, four, five, six month stints in every station, including the butcher. And I loved it. Along the way, I fell in love with Joe Lanciani, <laughs> and, and we married. We thought, as a young couple, our dream was to open a restaurant, and I would do the actual uh, cooking, and he would do the pastry. 
we were going to use our own money to do this, and so I started to do some research about how much it would cost and about how risky restaurants were, and discovered that the mortality rate of restaurants was 90% in the first year, but that the mortality rate of bakeries was 10% in the first year. And so I decided I'm not going to cook, I'll just be a pastry chef. And we opened our first bakery, Patisserie Lanciani, in, on West 4th Street in Greenwich Village. The bakery was a, a, a success. People used to stand in line, literally, to buy a croissant. Uh, our bakery was a success. Um, our marriage was not as successful. <laughs> we divorced, we stayed business partners. Okay. Um, until 1988. By that time, we had two bakeries. One was in uh, Soho, and the, the original one in Greenwich Village. We split up. I kept the Soho bakery. He kept the Greenwich Village bakery. Um, and I gravitated back toward my culinary aspirations in, uh, with the Soho bakery, and I started cooking out of that bakery, making it a bakery cafe. Very nice. Back to when you were in the plaza. I imagine it was very tough, um, to say the least. Being it was, the only it was woman. very tough. Right. It, it was very tough in many ways. Um, some of the men absolutely did not want me there. I was disrupting their world. Uh, they just didn't like change. And some of those men uh, did things to me that they'd be in jail for now. So, what do you think changed the most uh, for you after that first day on? the line when they finally said, you're hired? Well, um, I think to me the people that mattered, the executive chef, the executive sous chef, the heads of each station, they had my backs. They saw that I could do the work. And I think they were kind of surprised, but they saw that I could do the work. And they accepted me, and I felt validated. Right. At the time, did you consider yourself a role model or somebody to be looked up to? Or no. I just... <laughs> no? <laughs> nope. <laughs> just kept the wheels no, moving? Just kept, just keep going. Um, I, uh, you know, considered myself a feminist. I still consider myself a feminist. But I chose to lead by example, thinking that if I could do anything that would help the women's movement and equality back then, was to show by example that women should always be on equal footing with men in terms of the workload and in, certainly in terms of pay. Were there, uh, were there any moments where you felt like you just wanted to walk out because it was just the, too much? Or? No, there were never any moments that I wanted to quit right. and quit the business. Right. There were moments where I got so angry that I wanted to cry, right. but I didn't. I never cried. Good. That's a great idea. It's kind of like no crying in baseball, no right. crying in the kitchen. Well, besides being a woman, what do you think helped you to stand out uh, in that in that kitchen the most? I was good. Right. I was good. I had talent. I have and had a great work ethic. I kept my mouth shut and my head down and my eyes and ears open. Right. I wanted to ask you about why you you said you enjoyed cooking, but. Okay, so, um, and I can't speak for every female chef, but um, for me, as I got older and decided that I, I wanted children, I wanted a family and children, right. I realized that um, being a chef de cuisine, working in a restaurant kitchen is nighttime work, 
and it's nighttime and daytime work. You come to the to the restaurant in you know, in 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 the, in the mid morning, and you stay there until midnight. And I decided that that was if I was going to have children, that was no way to raise them. I didn't want to have any children to not see them, right. or or have them raised by somebody else. So um, it kind of made sense for me since I had already since I already knew how to bake and and was fairly good at pastries, to um, to stay in pastry so that, because uh, pastry mostly is daytime work. So when you opened a couple of businesses before here, mm -hmm. um, how did you find the funding for those initially? Um, <laughs> savings, pocketbooks, right. credit cards. Right, right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty much it. I closed the bakery slash cafe in Soho in 1991. Uh, the lease was up, Soho was booming, and the lease was untenable, the new lease. Okay. So I closed that in 1991, but I needed to keep working and wanted to keep working. Um, I borrowed uh, kitchens from uh, different friends of mine who had restaurants to keep making pastries and desserts for for several clients, some of which were catering clients, others were private clients. At uh, a New Year's Day party in 1992, I met Stan Extut, uh, who was an architect, who had just, with some other partners, bought this building in Tribeca, which I knew what Tribeca was back then. It was the place where you went to get your butter and eggs. Okay. And, and, and nuts, Bazzini Nuts headquarters were around the company, and okay. McNulty Coffee headquarters was here. It was the food area. Uh, it was the Hunts Point gotcha. back then. And so um, Stan Extut, I, was, I spoke with him and I said, I'm looking for a space. And he said, no, he said to me, are you looking for a space? Where are you baking? And I said, well, I'm baking in the basement of Raquel's right now and blah, blah, blah. He says, well, do you want a space? I said, yeah, I'd love to have had. He says, well, we've got a space in our brand new building over here. I came down and <laughs> there was no electricity. There was no plumbing. There was only half a floor. I had to stand on the supporting beams to look down to the basement. There were no basement stairs. Okay. And I said, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The, the rent was right. They, they gave me very, very, very cheap rent in exchange for me literally building it. Right. And so that's what I set about to do. And we didn't even have, we didn't even have a sink upstairs or a toilet upstairs. For about six months, we used the toilet and the sink in the basement, hauling water, literally hauling water in buckets up and down. That doesn't sound too fun. Um, it, <laughs> it gets old really fast. Right. So, um, what would you say was the biggest adjustment you had to make from being just a worker in the kitchen to actually being an owner? Obviously, it would be this, the 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 responsibility for the life of the business for its right. success and the responsibility for the livelihood of the people that were working with me. Those two areas are, to me, they were the most sobering and the, and the most serious difference between being a worker bee and being the owner of the company. 
um, no longer was it just, oh, if I screw this up, I'll you know, do something else. I, no, me. it's not just me anymore. Right. It's about other people, and these people are depending on me for their livelihood, which means they're depending on me to make the bakery successful for their livelihood. And that's um, a pretty uh, serious responsibility. What, uh, what qualities do you possess that made you believe you were going to be a great owner? My, my joy and passion for what I do. I think I got these um, qualities. I know I got these qualities from my family. My mother's joy and passion for cooking and the joy and passion I still have. My accountability and tenacity, I think, got, that I got from my father and, and from both of them, my 100% belief in excellence. Does that make sense? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, at, you had said once before, all you have to do to get me to do something is tell me I can't. <laughs> I can't yeah. do something. So, <laughs> so how, do you, how do you keep that going? How, like, what is your drive uh, It's just the natural day, rebel day? in me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, no, I think it's just the natural rebel in me. Going back to even the Plaza Hotel, when someone said to me, well, you can't work there. And I'm thinking to myself, who says? Why yeah. not? Right. How would you define success? And did you have a defining moment for yourself that you wow, knew that things were? very philosophical. How <laughs> <laughs> define success? I think most people think of equate success with money. There's certainly an aspect to that. You can't keep going with your project if you can't keep funding your project. Right. But for me, that's not entirely what it's about. Success is a feeling of accomplishment and pride. Going back to what I said before about responsibility, um, living up to my responsibilities as an owner to uh, my customers and to my employees. Success is measured to me by, I know this is gonna sound corny, <laughs> my many happy customers I make them I make them happy and I feel that through through my through creating food through creating um, something that nurtures them I make them happy and I think that makes me successful awesome so was there a, a moment that you could say that you felt that success there that stands out the most to you is not about the food industry, but it's a little related. My crowning achievement is, is uh, raising my two children um, to be terrific people. Right. Uh, I not it's only love to... my children, I like my children. Right. I, I like to be around them. I like to spend time with them and their friends. And I feel in my entire life that is my number one success story. And particularly because it's hard to do that in this industry, which takes so much of your time. Right. Was it hard to, to balance family and your business? Yes, it's always hard. You're constantly choosing. You're constantly choosing. You're constantly weighing things, this, weighing this against that. Right. For instance, very much curtailed the growth of my company when my kids were young. Um, I did not accept commissions and did not take on jobs that I would, would probably have given me revenue and maybe some sort of prestige here and there because I knew that it would interfere with my job as mom. Sounds corny again, but 
you know, I, I wanted to be able to go to their games after school. Right. And for the most part, I did that. But the growth of the business back then was part of my trade-off. I did not grow the business aggressively at all. Gotcha. I didn't start to work on that until about eight years ago. Now, you, uh, you were on job. Yes. Congratulations yeah. Thank on, you. on winning. Thank you. Um, what did that moment feel like when you actually won? Uh, well, if anybody has seen the episode, I cried. Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, you've, you've accomplished so much before then. Why was that so important? Well, I wanted to know if I could still do it, if right. I still had the chops, actually. Gotcha. That's a old, funny old ki yes. kitchen word. Do you have the chops to do this? Right. Because I'd been in pastry for 20 years. Right. And actually, first of all, I wanted the ten thousand dollars. I who doesn't? I wanted the ten thousand dollars. <laughs> that was my that was my motivating factor. And the second was, let me see if I can still do this. I, I I've been preparing for this for twenty years. I, I, whenever the kids were around, if they weren't with their dad and they were in my house, we ate together every night. Right. We sat down at the table. Very, I know, very immigrant, but it's how, that's how I was brought up. Right. And so I would rush home and literally had basically 20 minutes to put a meal on the table by looking inside the refrigerator and seeing what I could throw together. Gotcha. So that was kind of like, you know, preparing for chopped for 20 right. years. Gotcha. So, I mean, I'm sure it was very stressful. Oh, it was so stressful. Right. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you go about taking a mental break from it all? Is that important to you? Yes, of course it's important. You can't sustain the pitch and the pressure of being in the food business and being the entrepreneur of the food business without having releases. Um, so I need that physical outlet. I love all sports. I, I, I still love music, which was my you know original career. Right. And um, those are the outlets I use right now to kind of just shut off the the food world and 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 think of something else gotcha so uh one quick question i had was um out of all the desserts out there what made you choose rankings whoa okay <laughs> <laughs> well there's a lot of nostalgia here all right gotcha. so um i remember ring dings and they were so cool and they were treats back then and the ring ding of, of, of my childhood um, was a special treat that your mom would put in your lunchbox if you like got an A on your report. Right. And uh, so I associated um, that kind of a pastry with, with a reward. And, and I associated it with being very special. My mother was very ahead of her time. She used to make everything herself we lived never lived in the city and you know she had her own garden we were locavars before the term was ever even thought of um so she used to make everything herself including her version of these kind of treats right she she kind of remade the version of hostess cupcake which i actually still make today and i call it a magic cupcake um gotcha. so when we would complain as kids my my uh siblings and I, that, oh, we want, we, we want that, we want that, my mother would say, no, that's just junk, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll make you one. Right. So she would make her own version of it. And um, 
I think one of my catering companies wanted me to come up with some other mid-century desserts because they had an event that had something to do with the 50s. Okay. So I you know, made my magic cupcakes, I made my little version of a Twinkie, and then I made my version, which is really my version of my mother's version right. of the ring ding. And the catering company, they liked all the other things, but they really liked the ring ding because it was so easy to eat and you didn't mm -hmm. need a fork. You could just pick it up and walk around the event with it. Right. Whereas a Twinkie is too soft and the cupcake has a paper that you have to take off anyway. So they asked me to you know, keep making them. So I, I kept making them for caterers and then I started selling, um, selling them just the chocolate and vanilla version here in the bakery. And people, they were kind of a hit. Right. Uh, but I really didn't start producing them until my millennial son says to me, Mom, these are the best thing you make. Hands down, the best thing you make. He would t take some from here and give them to his friends and everybody was, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> and, um, and it was my son who went ahead and convinced me that I should start making these in earnest. And, and he even said, well, mom, you know, why do you, can you make other things besides chocolate and vanilla? And I said, well, a ring ding is just chocolate and vanilla. And he said, why? It could be something else. It could be other flavors. And I went, you know, he's right. Mm -hmm. So I started making other flavors. And then he convinced me to, uh, to sell them in, in our first off-premises marketplace, which was Schmorgesberg okay. four, four years ago. And I was doubtful that, that this was going to work. I thought, you know, only baby boomers know what ring dings are. Well, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Baby boomers, yes, but, um, but Gen Xers, Gen Yers, Millennials, they were just fascinated by that. It was a fun, uh, something fun and whimsical. It had a pedigree and then it tastes great. Right. So that's where I am with it. So now, awesome. um, now we've decided I've decided in earnest to develop the ring dings as their, the ring ding bar as its own product line. That's awesome. If somebody was going to open their own business, what advice would you give them? Do the opposite of what I first did. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much. There, it is so much more difficult in, in this day and age. The first thing is to have a plan. Get a business plan. Right. Know your market find a need in the market. What can you do that's different from what other people can do? That's the groundwork. After that is be prepared for tremendous amount of work. There is no such thing in, in business ownership as nine to five. Right. If you need a nine to five job, then you, sh you can't do this. Be prepared to accept all the responsibility I believe that with any business owner, the buck stops with them. So, including if it's a screw up from a worker, hey man, right? That's, including uh, falls it, on you. It, it falls on it <laughs> falls on me. I I will never throw any of my employees right. under the bus because it it's up to me. Right. It's if a they on you. if they screwed up, why did they do it? Something happened that I did not communicate correctly, right. and. Because no one wants to screw up, for heaven's sakes. Of course not. So it, it does fall on me. Right. I think owning my own business has also been very thrilling. There's, there's nothing 
more satisfying than birthing something and growing it and watch it grow. It's like, you know, planting the carrot in the ground. Perfect. And then, you know, you know, five months later, eating the carrot. That carrot tastes way better than any carrot that you're going to buy because you made that carrot. Right. You grew that carrot. And I think that is the part of owning my own business that is still the motivating factor for me. Pride in what I am making and what I've, what I've grown and what I'm making. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, did you happen to have a funny story for us? Oh my gosh, I have, there's so many funny stories. I couldn't hear, you know, that's kept me up for the past couple of nights. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. Because yeah. there, are, there are funny stories, there are touching stories. Right. Um, but, uh, okay, so this is a funny touching story. Okay. And uh, I'm going to try to tell it so you can visualize it. Um, okay. Four or five years ago, um, a mom and her son, the son probably was four, walked in. The, 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 the little boy was kind of quiet. I mean, he, was, he didn't walk in the door yakking away. He just walked in the door quietly with his mom. And he stood in the inside of the bakery and he looked at the cookies in the, in the display case. And all of a sudden, in a loud voice, he said, Finally, we made it to the bakery. This is my favorite place in the whole world. And he threw his hands up. And I just, I laughed and cried at the same time. <laughs> Literally out of the mouths of babes. It was so funny. We all laughed. And the, his mom was like stunned. She was like so surprised. <laughs> and so that's my little funny yes. touching story. Kids say the craziest things. Kids say right? the craziest things. I, I know. <laughs> I have a little segment uh, called Quick Fire Five. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> just some, uh, just some quick questions. Um, ready? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> uh, which ring ding flavor would you recommend? Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. All right. My favorite. Uh, besides ring dings, what's your favorite dessert? Lemon tart. Lemon tart. All right. Being a chef, you've tried many foods. Uh, which one is your favorite? Uh, linguisa. Linguisa. What was more stressful? Busy day on the line at the plaza or being on chop? Being on chop. Hundred <laughs> percent. When you moved to New York, you wanted to be an opera singer? Yes. What was one of your favorite bands or artists? Well, okay, my very, very favorite opera singer was Beverly Sills. I saw everything she was in in New York City. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, that's all I have. Did I pass? You passed. <laughs> with flying colors. For sure. Well, thank you, Madeline, very much for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you so much it. for having me. I'm Mike Curtin for Chew Brewer Stew. I'm here with Madeline at Dwayne Park Rotisserie, home of the Ring Ding Bar. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, so that was the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're able to take something away from that interview as you will with every interview. 
Special thanks again goes out to Madeline Lanciani, owner of Dwayne Park Patisserie in Tribeca, New York. Sweet tooth or not, Madeline's pastries, cakes, and best of all, her ring dings are sure to please the kid and all of us. And don't forget to try that peanut butter and jelly one that she loves so very much. Every other Sunday I'll be posting a new podcast, so stay tuned and like I said, subscribe. And you'll never miss another episode. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts for video clips of the interviews. Also, if there's something you're curious about knowing from the owners, then I want to ask it. You can email me directly at ChewBrewerStew.com. Once again, I'm Mike Curtin for Chew Brewer Stew. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.